Hey guys, Ryan DeMent from Chasing Happiness Podcast. I hope you guys are having a great day. This week on the podcast, I've got Chris Lalomia. He is an entrepreneur straight from my neck of the woods in uh, construction. And he started his business in 2008, right after the last downturn. And it's a home repair uh, company called Trusted Toolbox. Chris, welcome in. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, having a chat. Awesome. So I teased a little bit about what you're doing. Before we get to that journey, tell the listeners a little bit about your background and uh, who you are. Yeah, so I'm originally from Michigan. I got my engineering degree, went off and worked in manufacturing, but uh, ended up in financial services, working in banking of all things. But uh, I was in that corporate zoo doing the corporate thing. what I would everybody would consider very successful in what I was doing, but I just wasn't happy. So I went ahead and started my own business 14 years ago called the Trusted Toolbox. We started as a handyman company, and today we do everything from handyman work, drywall repair, and fixing wood rot, all the way up to bath and kitchen remodeling and decks. So, what drove you to want to just jump, I guess, head first right during the 2008 pandemic? Well, I was playing, excuse me, downturn. Sorry. Yeah. The, yeah. So yeah, we've learned all kinds of new words, recession, pandemic over the last 14 years, but, um, I didn't know this was coming. Uh, so I started in April of 2008 and I came out of financial service. I was in a banking institution. Nobody said the recession, uh-huh. nobody said that the real estate market was going to crash and cause this systemic failure and recession that we all ended up here, especially in the U S. So I thought, uh, headstrong, you know, we're handyman business. Everybody needs to work on their house. It's recession resistant. It's Amazon proof, uh, which is a new term because I didn't think that at the time, but I was thinking it was out, It was unable to be outsourced, but Amazon couldn't take me out. So I started the business, thought it'd be great, but man, I'll tell you what, timing is not my thing, my man. And it was a tough slog. Those first four years were rough. I was able to grow. Uh, got, got up to about five or six guys. Uh, things really started to click, but as the economy started to come back, we've grown. And today I've got 15 handymen and then I've got five project managers and have over 30 employees uh, supporting them and keeping them out in the field going busy. But as they say, an overnight success, it just took me 14 years. I like that because I always say I'm an eight-year overnight success and I have to keep on uh, trudging along, but that's that's just life in general. And that I have to ask, so in those first three or four years that you're discussing and talking about how bad was it in, cause I wasn't, I was not in the construction industry then I was buying notes. So it was a little different. How bad was it? You know, it was interesting. I'll give you a good anecdote and a good story. I felt like the handyman business would be recession resistant, meaning that if you uh, are married or if you have a spouse or a partner, uh, you have a number that you're willing to go spend without having to get pre-approval from them. So, for example, you're not going to go out and buy a Lamborghini, or I'm not, and without consulting my <laughs> wife, right? That's a big number. So I felt like five or six hundred dollars of a home repair expense would be something that unilaterally could be decided, and we could get through it. I remember looking at a window, and it was a pretty good sized window, and it was going to be about a two thousand dollar window because it was a pretty big window in the family room of a house where they had five kids watching TV. He was an HP executive, and she was also a project manager at another firm, so they were, they were making pretty good money. Uh, and I did the estimate in December of 2008 and it's, you know, it was getting cold in Atlanta and you could actually see through the window. It was so rotten. And I didn't oh, hear wow. from him, didn't hear from him, didn't hear from him. And I'm like, I lost that job. And in March he called me and said, all right, Chris, we're ready to go ahead with that window. And I said, can I, can I ask what happened? He said, you know, Chris, I, I didn't know if I was going to even have a job. Uh, so 
I'm not going to go spend on this window. So we just kept duct tape on the outside and plastic tape on the inside of that window and bared and grinned it, uh, grinned and bared it through uh, the winter. So that's the kind of stuff that happened is that while I was recession resistant, people just stopped spending money all over the place. And the competition to work on houses, people who wouldn't even think about saying I'm a handyman because they were high-end custom home builders, next thing you know, they'd have a handyman magnet on the side of their truck and say, oh, I'll go out there and be a handyman. Well, if you know anything about custom home builders, a lot of them, maybe they were on the tools, but their skill set is really around design planning and coordination, not actually going out there and ripping wood off and fixing things. So uh, the competition was tough and fierce. Uh, I had plenty of employees if I needed them, but I had to go find the work. And now I've got the exact opposite. I've got too much work and I can't find the employees. That's amazing that uh, you start with one and and now you're at a different and you're at a different place in this whole process. And I don't know how I guess I'm trying to relate the two together, you know, both ends. And I would say, you know, 2008, we didn't really understand what was coming. But now it seems like everyone's starting to talk about the R word recession and and interest rates are going up. And, you know, you got all these other things going on. How do you how do you take those four years of experience and now apply it to today's market uh, and how you see yourself going forward if something does happen? Well, I got to experience that with the pandemic. Uh, so in when the pandemic first started here in Atlanta, especially in the beginning of March, I didn't think it was going to be a worldwide shutdown. And I don't think a lot of people did. And I remember getting a call on March 9th where a guy called and said, Chris, I can't come to your office to meet you today. He said, I got to figure out what's going to happen to my business because this is going to shut us down. And I said, hey, man, what, what can I do to help? He said, me, you, no, dude, this is going to shut us all down, bro. And I'm like, all right, chicken little, slow down. And then six days later, actually seven days later, March 16th, my birthday, I laid off my operations manager. I laid off my sales manager. I put uh, my sales guys all in 100% commission and told a couple of them they're going to park. I put some of my project managers and laid them off. I cut deep and I cut quick, uh, figuring that um, I had to do that. So I've learned how to scale up and I've also learned how to cut back uh, to, to maintain the company and maintain the robust company that I wanted to be. And luckily enough for here, us here in Atlanta, it was about a two-month slowdown, uh, and then on, on Memorial Day, our governor said, far be it for me to call anybody unessential businesses or non-essential businesses, you guys can go out and start working again. And we were working, and I was keeping some guys busy, but the phone started to ring because people started to realize, man, I'm going to be working from the house, and I need some doors because I can't have the kids coming in here because <laughs> I'm doing these Zoom calls. So we picked right back up and then just absolutely accelerated. I. I remember telling somebody, I'm like, you know what? I'm finally in the right business at the right time. And a year later, I'm like, wow, look at this. Uh, now we have labor shortages, supply chain issues. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, that one of the reasons I made the leap was I get to use my full brain every single day on a lot of stuff. And what I tell myself every morning when I wake up is, all right, it's time to solve some more problems and put a smile on my face and let's go. Amen. Because that's that's entrepreneurship at its uh, at its finest. So when you first started everything, what, what got you to jump? What, what, what said, Hey, it's time to get out of the corporate rat race. I'm ready to go. What, what triggered all that? Yeah. The trigger event for me, uh, really had been building. I actually wrote a book called from the zoo to the wild. And, um, I had had an epiphany, but I didn't act on it when I took my kids to the zoo and I looked at this big zoo gorilla that we had, uh, called Willie B. He was a famous gorilla here in Atlanta. And I saw him in this cage with a tire swing. And it was a plastic 
uh, enclosed concrete enclosure, but he could go outside and run around a little bit. And I looked at him and said, man, look at you. You think you're the big king of the jungle <laughs> doing all that. And you're sitting there and all they're doing is feeding you bananas and make your life easy. And it hit me. Oh my God, that's what I'm doing in the corporate America world. They're feeding me bananas and keep me in the corporate jungle. And, and I couldn't go out there and run around. Uh, so I, um, I had really had it. Uh, I had had a change in boss and leadership, and and really, I looked at my wife and said, "Look, I've always wanted to start my own business. I'm going to do it, and I'm done. I'm out of here, and that's it." And she went, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Slow down there, Tiger. You better have a plan." So I actually did a plan for about a year. I worked on the planning of it uh, to to make the leap in April of 2008. Uh, again, uh, in my position at the bank, I had access to our economist. Nobody knew I was going to leave and leave my senior vice president position at the bank and do all that, but he never said the word recession. And if I ever find him, I'm going to yell at him. I'm like, dad, why couldn't you have told me that we were going to have a recession? <laughs> but the, the, that gut turning moment was, I just realized that at one point I had had 40 hours of meetings on my calendar, 40 hours of just meetings. And I coded those meetings. Either I was covering my butt, I was giving status, getting status, or justifying why my group needed more money to do what we were doing. And none of it was about what are we doing to attack the competition? What were we doing to help customers and help them in their financial situation? We weren't customer focused. And I really missed that part. And, and I, I really wanted to get out there and do this. And so I, this wasn't my first idea to get into home repairs and business like this, uh, but I did. And so I jumped in and my biggest uh-oh moment was I'm in the retail business. And I had never been in retail a day in my life. I had always either been a machinist, manufacturing engineer, consultant, um, or a leader within a financial services company. But I had never been uh, a burger flipper, an order taker, uh, somebody who worked in fast food. I had never worked in retail. And in my business, I'm in retail. <laughs> You're joining the, the rest of us that have been in the retail space. So that's, uh, that's interesting. So when you, first, when you first started out, it was just really handyman service. So what experience did you have? Were you out on the jobs working, doing that? How did you, how did you start? I mean, or did you already have prior skills working on your own house? So one of the things, one of the things that, that came to me was, uh, that's actually is my passion. I love working on houses. Uh, that was a lot of our vacations when I was a kid, a lot of stuff that I did to, uh, have fun. I mean, I still like to do things like golf and spend time with my family and drink wine, uh, not in that order, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I like doing all that, but, but I actually really enjoy the home stuff. Uh, I'm not the guy who sits there and watch HGTV. I'm the guy who goes down and figures out how to make his basement better or redo his bathroom. And I had done all that. So I went ahead and hired a guy, but I was actually out on the tools for about three or four months, um, doing estimates and also doing some work where my skill sets allowed. Uh, and that's the big thing now. Now the guys who work for me are, are way more skilled than I am. And they're amazing artists at what they do. And I, I truly tell them that every day. That's, that's gotta be tough. I mean, you're starting out and uh recession happens and you're doing handyman work and oh my God, I, 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 I being on the other side of it, I don't know how I would be able to take that. And, and that's really awesome that you're able to get through all of that. There was a lot of tough nights, a lot of, a lot of nights on the couch, <laughs> a lot of nights at three yeah. 30 in the morning going, what in the hell have I just done to my family? Oh my God. What have I done? So, so can we talk about that and just understand, okay, those are, there's a lot of pain points. There's a lot of bumps. There's a lot of setbacks. What got you through those four years of tough times? You, the, the, you know, perseverance, stick to problem solving, 
Uh, those are those are three things that when they start lining up characteristics of entrepreneurs uh, that you need to have. And I had to prove to myself I had it. I felt like I did. The one thing I really learned about myself is I'm an optimistic guy. And in corporate America, optimism is not met with much uh welcoming and warmth. It's supposed to be get back in line, do this thing. I don't want to hear a thought leader. I don't want to hear uh, somebody who wants to change or upset the process. That's not the way this big machine works. But I learned uh, for myself is that I'm very optimistic. If I could just make payroll this Friday, next Monday is going to be even better. And if I can make payroll next Friday, then next Monday is going to be even better. And my optimism probably, uh, and I've said this to other people, probably at least twice I should have shut my business down. It just wasn't it just wasn't performing like I thought it would. Uh, I wasn't bringing much back to the family. It uh, I wasn't making much money. I thank God I had a wife who had a good job, uh, but I never thought like that. I never felt like I had a safety net. I always felt like if I don't get this thing figured out, I'm about to lose everything that I built for my family. And that pressure is tough to handle. And so I was able to be optimistic and stick to it and have perseverance. And it's just day by day solving problems. You sure you sure seem to have the P words down because that's what I say. Persistence, perseverance. Those are two big words you got to use. And whether you're an entrepreneur or running your a small business, whatever the case is, however you want to label it, if you don't have those things and have the ability to get back up when you get knocked back down, this is not the road for you. And I was I was talking to a gentleman earlier today. He wants he he younger in the 20 he's in his 20s he likes that instant gratification and he thinks entrepreneurship is for him and i told him i said it's not that easy and he has a really good business idea um i just don't think he understands how much pain and and problems he potentially could go through and it, it's not that easy and he's he comes from uh, a family that has some money so he doesn't uh realize the pain without money so one of the things I told him, I said, if you're going to want to work with me and we're going to do some coaching, it's going to be you doing the work. It's not going to be me because I've lived four years, five years of very painful nights where I was up on the couch, not sleeping. I was I was by myself, so I didn't have a secondary income. So I really had to make it work. Uh, I was eating peanut butter and jelly. I'm not bashful to say that. Uh, that's just I, I was hungry to make this happen. I don't see that in today's younger, you know, generation. Are you seeing the same thing or, or what do you see out there? I agree with you. You know, you know I'll spin it a couple of ways. You know, uh, first, you know, my dad was told by his dad, my grandfather, that he wanted it right now and didn't want to really work for it. And my dad looked at me and said, you don't want it right now. You really don't want to work for it. But in today's world with that instant gratification, which is a phrase I use quite a bit, um, I think especially in today's media and environment and how fast we get information, Everybody wants to see the Gary V's and the, the Elon Musk's and go, wow, look at that. I can be Jeff Bezos. But what they don't see was how long it took them to get where they were. And they didn't feel it because you said PB&J. I mean, we, we, uh, we went without quite a bit. Um, and it wasn't starving. Again, we had a good family. But, you know, those nice trips we used to take and that Mercedes I had that I sold to buy two uh, white vans and me trying to scrape and make ends meet, it was tough. Uh it, and those guys uh, need to see that because uh, you got to find a guy who's willing to tell you that or a gal, a mentor or somebody who's going to really tell you, look, when I say it's hard, it's hard. And I had a guy tell me, I put this in my book, 
you'll know you're a successful entrepreneur or you'll know you're in small business when you have to scramble, get a check, get it in the bank on Thursday so you can make payroll on Friday. And I'll be damned if I didn't have to do the same thing. I had to go out, drive 15 miles away for a lady who didn't pay me on my check, got the check, got the check to the bank at 428 when it closed at 430 just so I could make payroll. And that, uh, it's funny and I love talking about it now. It didn't feel funny then, man. It is not. And I've, uh, I've been there with you. So it, it, that must be like a rite of passage or something. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that all works out, I agree. but I mean, there's just, there's just so many things that entrepreneurship brings out in you. I mean, persistence and consistency is, you know, two that I live by, but the other thing is I think it changes you as a person because you see things a little differently, at least from my perspective. And when I say that is I try to find, no matter if I was an entrepreneur or not, I always try to find the good in people. But it, it just seems like the more I, I, less I focused on myself and more on my passion, it came out more to where I was able to flourish. And that's when things kind of started changing for me. And like you said, you're doing something you're passionate about. Once I, once I stopped worrying about the money and stopped worrying about this and that and all the things that I couldn't control and I just focused on the things I could, that kind of is where I had a turning point and epiphany. Any of those in your journey? Anything yeah, absolutely. You, you hit on exactly. Uh, I was always in a hurry, um, in a hurry to get up that mountain and be that millionaire and be what that definition of yeah. success looked like. Uh, and when you're doing that and you wake up in the morning and go, man, I have got to get out there. I've got to sell this job because if I don't sell this job, these guys don't have jobs tomorrow to work on. They don't have jobs tomorrow to work on. I don't have revenue coming in. Then, you know, And you start getting yourself and you get what happens. You, I just, ooh you clump up, you clench up, your chest starts to compact on you. And when I just sat back and went, you know what? One of the best things I get to do in my company and my business is to go out there and meet new people and provide a solution to their problem. I love doing that kind of sales. And you know what? When, when you're enjoying it and not the whole time talking to them going, oh my gosh, if I don't get the sale, I'm not going to happen. And you're selling from that scarcity mindset versus selling from that abundance mindset, which yes. is what you just said, you know, my, my term on yours. You, yes, you do better. And you're right. If you're waking up in the morning going, I got to make money today. You're thinking the wrong way. If you're thinking, all yep. right, man, I'm going to go out and be the best version of me today. And I'm going to go out and do these awesome things that I get to do on my own by myself in this freedom of being in the wild world of the small business ownership. Then you know what? Things are a little bit easier and things start to happen. And, it, and it, things start manifesting. They start coming along. And, and it's amazing what people we think about how we think about money and how we interact with money is, is I don't want to call it a negative, but it is because we think money is a scarcity. But the one thing that we don't really take into consideration that we think is our most valuable asset is time. We'll all, I say this to everybody on the show, we're all going to die. If someone doesn't think they're going to die, we all have X amount of days, hours, whatever on this face of this earth. If you think money's more valuable than your time, then you're sorely wrong because you only have so much time to deal with whatever you're dealing with. You can, you lose money, you go bankrupt. You can always earn more. You can't get time back. Once it's gone, it is gone. And, and I try to explain that to some people and they think I'm crazy because they think money is worth more than time. And, and I think, especially when you're telling um, people who are thinking they're going to get into this and they've been used to having the money there um, or, or enough and you don't tell them, look, you know, time is more important than money. They're looking at you and they're kind of saying yes, but in their back of their mind, they're like, no, not really. But uh, yeah. I heard a great statistic that said that um, 
income in the U.S. is linearly proportionate to your happiness up to $70,000 in income. After that, it starts to fall off. And it's not one for one linear happiness. Your happiness actually starts to wane off after 70,000. So when people say, man, how much is too much? I'm like, well, I I don't know. You know, you got to figure that out. But you, you obviously you've hit on that one thing that you've had an epiphany and you've, you've internalized. And that is, but how much time is enough time or how much of giving away my time to make that money is worth it. And I'm 52 years old. We went and just met with our financial planner. And uh, we're, we're in a good position in 10 years. And uh, he's like, wow, congratulations. And I, I looked at him and said, you know what, man, I actually, I'm like freaking out thinking, oh, I only have 10 more years to go out there and do all these great things I want to do. So he's like, well, what? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, just, I'm not worried about the money part. I, I am, of course, but uh, I, I got 10 things. I got 10 more years to get things done. And well, I got to get moving. <laughs> But see, I don't. You're a little bit older than I am, and it seems like our generations have that last piece of we're going to go work for it and go get it, and we're not the instant gratification. And I just don't know how these younger generations are going to adopt and become entrepreneurs unless they they change, because they see these, like you said, the Gary V's and the Elon Musk and all these other unicorns that are out on on social media saying. Oh man, I've got this tech startup and it's worth two and a half billion dollars and it's and it's going to go IPO next week. They don't see all that stuff behind it, and it's like there's a lot going on. We're a lot smaller than that, but we have to go through the same things that every other entrepreneur or small business owner goes through. That's the hard part to get across to people again, because in this uh, in this instant gratification and this soundbite management world we're in today, whether your social media uh, platform of choice is from Twitter, which is minimal characters all the way up to Facebook, which could be a longer length engagement. It doesn't matter. It's still a lot shorter and they get to see these success stories, uh, but they don't see the nine out of 10 that failed. They don't see, well, you know what? He was a really good guy, a really good person with a really good idea and had a great work ethic and he still failed. And if you don't have all of that, that's the thing that a lot of people have to be in the phrase I thought was going to be a big one this year in 22 would be, you have to be self-aware. You got to realize that maybe you weren't yeah. willing to work as hard as you thought you were. And, yeah. and sometimes when somebody knocks you down hard, you just kind of go, well, I'm going to slink away and you know what? I don't have to fix this, but if you don't fix it, you, you could be out of business before you know it. Yeah. And it's, it, it's so hard to explain that to, to some people and, and how you, how it comes across is like in, in this in this kid, I say, uh, he was telling me that I don't understand, you know, the business concept. And I said, it's nothing to do with the business concept. I can learn it. It's a work ethic. You're, I live, breathe, eat, sleep. And I said, oh, by the way, this is the third business I've started. The other two failed. I failed. And, it- I, and I had to come back and lick my, my chops, my wounds, whatever you want to say. And guess what? I'm back for a third try and I've learned a lot from my first two and I'm learning a lot from this third run, but I failed and, but I'm still here. And I said, I don't know if your business idea will succeed because I don't know enough, but I can do homework and we can ask. But the only way I know that it's going to be successful is you're going to have to work your butt off. And it's not, I'm going to work a couple hours here and then go play golf or go drive my Lamborghini or something. It's you're going to live, breathe, eat, sleep this business of yours until it takes off. That's just life. 
in this, in, if that's what you want to do, be prepared. You got to be prepared for that. Um, because I, you know, I, I talk about this as well with people. You know, a lot of my friends go, man, Chris, I wish I had your life, you know, getting to go here, you go there, you do all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, let me tell you about those four years while you guys were going here and going there and doing all that great stuff. And I was sitting here in Atlanta on Sunday morning, coming in for a couple hours, going back, going to church with my family, coming back for the rest of the afternoon to work on all the financial stuff that I can't do during the week when I'm out trying to sell things. So um, you got to be willing to put that time in. And it um, it is hard to get across to somebody until they can see it and, and feel it. And and they've got to sit in there and live and breathe it to know that these guys, it, you, hey, you don't understand that I can be a social media influencer and I'm going to make millions of dollars making little videos three or four times a week. There's no way that happens. Come on now, guys. Now, let's think about this just for a minute. What what has happened here in the last three years that hasn't happened in the last 2000? Not, not true. So you've got to good old fashioned hard work, have those success habits, have those success skills, uh, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. Uh, you're the average of the five people you hang out with every day. I love that phrase. And I'm always thinking about that because you, you talked about failed. I would say, you know what? My uh, my co-host on my podcast is a quote-unquote failed entrepreneur. He's one of the most successful failed entrepreneurs I've ever met because similar <laughs> to yourself, right? He's flourishing in his next role and what he's doing today. And he's a great guy and, and has a lot of great lessons. And how did he fail? The recession. You can't overcome. Like I said, he was a good guy with a great business plan and a great work ethic. But sometimes you can't overcome all that stuff. And, and people who don't realize that aren't coming in and being completely self-aware, eyes wide open on how hard it is to be, be your own business. You know, the, the funny thing about that is my, my two failures, and I, and I had to learn this after the fact, were not passion. I wasn't passionate about them. They were, they were offshoots of, of what I was doing in corporate America. One was a collection agency, and we were debt buying. We were buying uh, charged off credit card accounts. And, and going through that process wasn't a passion. It was just, I knew it was a, a means to an end to make money. Uh, I sold that off. I mean, whatever that's, that's done. And then the other, the other business was the same thing. It was, it was working in, I was in a uh, student loan business. And so I was, I was helping people refinance their student loans and it was, wasn't a passion project either. So this third time around was passion project, you know, affordable housing development. And now it's spun off to a nonprofit. Now it has financial coaching with it. Um, I mean, so those are all passion things that I enjoy, but that's what I was trying. I'll back up and long story short, that's what I was trying to tell this, this, this kid the other day is, is this a passion project? And he goes, Oh, no, this is great. This is what I'm going to make money off of. And I said, if you don't truly believe that it's your passion and what you're going after, it's going to be a hard sell for you to actually continue to grind it out every single day, 12, 14, 18 hours a day. Uh, it's just not going to work. It's hard. Yeah, it is hard in, in that you people say, oh, I'm willing to put the time in. Um, but every single day you're putting that time in. And um, yes, you have that freedom to go out there and do that. And you have to be good at time management and, and all these other things that make you successful. Um, but And you have to solve problems while you're doing it. But the pain of having to solve those problems and the pain of having to do those things you don't like really like doing, uh, because if you don't uh, take care of that it, business, I'd, I'd be, I want to learn about it. Are you there? Yeah, I got you back. I'm sorry. It, it clipped on me oh, for a second. Yep. Sorry. Uh, I was talking about your book. We, we didn't get to discuss it before. I don't know much about it, so I'd love to hear about it. 
Yeah, it's called From the Zoo to the Wild, Your Guide to Entrepreneurial Freedom and Wealth. Uh, it takes you through the story of how I made that jump um, and then uh, the planning that I put in. Uh, I put a business plan uh, together, but it wasn't the it wasn't the end product that I was looking for. It was the process of building that business plan, of getting those smart people to answer great questions for me. And then finally, I started. I started my business and went off, and I was you know trying to go off for operational excellence, but that's hard. Uh, to scale in my business. If I could have robots go out and fix things in people's houses, I'm telling you right now, sign me up. I'd do it in a heartbeat. But it's <laughs> not going to happen anytime soon. So I've got to keep scaling and I scale with people. And I realized I was in the people business and getting them to uh, rally around our, our cause and our cry and really get going there was big. And then I finished with talking about how to train uh, customer service uh, technicians, handymen, HVAC, electricians, plumbers. They guys, these guys are blue collar. Uh, and what's great about them is that it's WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. There's no corporate agenda. There's they, When they say they want to make more money, it's just clear. They want to make more money. There's no ulterior motive or agenda. <laughs> so talk about how do you train them? How do you actually speak to the audience? Uh, and then we finish with that in the book. So I, I went across a lot of things that were passionate to me and important to me. Uh, and I've I actually started another company called the Home Service Institute to help train people in customer service skills, those soft skills in the construction trade. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm a year into it and I'm not afraid to tell you it's not going well yet. I haven't gotten the word out. I haven't had the time to do it. I've been focused on my trusted toolbox business. Uh, it's been a little bit harder than I thought. Um, good news is I haven't sunk a lot of money nor time into it, but I still think it's something that has a lot of legs and really is worthwhile in our business. So, I'm I'm with you. The uh, the trades people that are there, they they're just straight up. It's who they are. It, there's no hidden agenda. How do you? I mean, how is this academy going to help? Because I'd be interested. Because I've got some guys that are pretty rough around the edges, especially when they're talking to clients, and that's that's tough. How how would your academy help those individuals? Yeah, it helps them through a number of things, uh, specifically around customer service skills. Remember who our audience is. These guys are artists. They truly are that gig economy, that lone wolf who can go out there and do the work that you're asking them to do. What they don't see is the value of why do I need to smile? Why do I need to tell them what I'm about to do? Why do I need to call them before I get there? Why do I need to text them before I get there? Because, again, in this instant gratification world, she is sitting there waiting for you to show up at her house. And if you don't let her know when she's coming, she immediately goes to a deep, dark spot that says he's probably not going to show up. And when he does show up, he's going to make a mess, probably make a mistake, flood my house or take half my money and run. So when those guys understand that and you tell them these stories in this fashion, they start to go, oh, and oh, by the way, if you start just doing these little things, this is how you start a job. This is how you prepare for a job. This is how you do it. And this is how you complete. And we tell stories that will play to our artists because these artists will not sit in classrooms, will not listen to this podcast for an hour because they have things to do and they want to work with their hands. But when you start to show them that the benefit of this small 10 minute video with some talking points, integrating that into the way you handle your business is going to ultimately give you an easy transaction let you demonstrate your artistry and your skills, and you get to go home and provide for your family financially as well. So how how do you get them to sit down for 10 minutes? And then what do you do for the retention piece? So what we do for the retention piece is these are a series of videos that we've created. Uh, so you can do them anywhere in the U.S. Uh, I know that the retention part comes from either the operations manager or the owner punching home those points that are in this video. Because okay. we, we've also figured out that there's three components to effective training. Customer service, our processes, which makes us unique in the marketplace, 
because handyman's not a new idea. This isn't the best business idea in the world. Uh, so you got to have better <laughs> processes. And then finally, we know that these guys need to hear something technically that's going to make their job easier, whether there's a new tool, a new technique, or a new trick out there that they can follow. That actually allows them to go remember that customer service piece that you as the owner are going, come on, man, just call your customer. Hey, come on, when you're done, <laughs> just get that signature and let's ask for a review to see how we did. And instead of saying it like that, we tell them in stories, stories that, that play to their head, play to their mind, play to their artist. Then we talk about our processes, which are, let's face it, very boring and mundane and do, 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 they're blah, blah, blah. But then when you stick it to them at the end with, if you're an electrician and, hey, look, there's a new, uh, there's a new tool out there. But in our case, in the handyman stuff, look, you know, we're going to take you guys tomorrow in our company. Actually, we're having a two-hour deck class on all the different code changes and the new products that are out there that will make your job easier in fixing a deck. When they hear that, they'll remember the first third. So that's how you get the retention piece. But the mm. hardest part for all of us, especially as business owners, is let's face it. We all say, everybody in a room, and I've had them do it. I've done this presentation, and you know, everybody in their hand, who doesn't believe in good customer service? Uh, no. All right, who believes in good customer service? Yes. All right, who's willing to go invest in that? Well, pay-per-click sexier. Well, SEO is sexier. Well, I'm going to go invest in getting more customers. <laughs> Well, when I tell you that it costs you $5 to acquire a new customer and only costs you one to keep one, and this customer service is sales and actually makes you more profitable, and it keeps your guys with this longer because we all have employee problems. What we have is employee tenure problems. We don't have employee acquisition problems. If I could keep my guys longer, and right now my guys have stayed with me for an average of two years in an industry where the average handyman stays with a company like this for about seven months. Wow. That speaks volumes. I mean, it's it's crazy that we want to go that instant gratification again on everything, but it boils down to is retention and a little bit of customer service TLC. And those I'm, I'm guessing you have a high referral rate from your customers also because we, of this. Not only do we have a high referral rate, I would tell you some of the best things we've got is 40 percent of our business today comes from repeat customers. The next 20 That's comes great. from referrals from satisfied customer. And the next 20 comes from contractors who said, call these guys because I've heard nothing but good things. So I just told you that 40 plus 20 plus 20, that's 80% of my business. Yet I still go out there and I'd advertise. Yes, I still do pay-per-click. Yes, I still get myself in uh, SEO and have our website out there. And I spend money on that stuff just to get that extra 20%. And you, I mean, that's, 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 that's just so great that 80% comes from referrals and everything you're doing internally. Now that is a success overnight for 10 years, eight years, 14 years, however long you've been doing it. That's, that's a true story of an entrepreneur. And that is so cool to, to share and tell. I, I really love that. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been great. Don't get me wrong. It's always hard to do this, but the customer service piece uh, really has changed it around uh, where my guys started to see, you know, the team started to see that they get it. I mean, I have a 25 year carpentry veteran guy can do the best crown molding and cabinet making you've ever seen. And he's been with me for seven years. And when we started this training five years ago and really got after it four years ago, it doesn't happen overnight with these guys either. And he would always ask to make sure he could miss training. Uh, you know, Hey, can I, Hey boss, can I miss training? I'm like, no, I really need you there, Brian. Come on, man. And I remember about two years ago, he came up to me and said, I get it. I know why I'm there. And, um, I actually enjoy coming into this because he knows he's also giving back to the other guys who may be a little bit younger uh, in the program and doing what we're doing, but it has helped him figure out how to make the transaction easier. So our system really starts to see benefits in about six months. 
uh, as we've seen this with some of the clients that have been using it, but it really is a consistent pounding the drum, pounding the, the hammer, getting that flywheel to keep moving. This is not a buy this package, do this once. The next thing you know, you get the best customer service team in the world. And this is something that I know will work. My, my, the hard part for me is getting other business owners to go, you know what? I think it's worth it. Yeah. And, and, and that's going to be a tough sell because that means they're putting time, money, and resources into it. And like you said, it's going to take time away from them. More than likely they're out selling just like you are. And that's taking time away from them doing that. So the benefits are going to have to outweigh it. So your company is, is a great cause to show for people to do that. I, I I'm with you. I, I, I think customer service is the number one thing and, and you always try to bend towards the customer unless it's, you know, crazy or whatever. But at the end of the day, that's where that's your bread and butter. And, and if you get, you get 80% of your business that's through referrals or others, that's, that's pretty great. And, and, and that's something to pat yourself on the back for. Um, not a lot of business get that. No. Yeah. It's been, it's been really great. Uh, and when I tell other people, they're like, no way. I'm like, dude, I got the numbers. Trust me. And then, you know, I bring in new sales guys and they're like, Hey, I, I ran this whole week and did not one of them came from a repeat customer. And I'm like, okay. So I just been out with the uh, newer guys here the last month and I'm out there having a blast again. Yeah. About, uh, about two out of every 10 people are somebody who came through the internet. The other eight really came from, well, I researched you, but my friend told me about you. Oh, well, you did work for my mother or, hey, you did work for my friend. Um, oh, you, we actually, you worked on us. You worked on our last house. Uh, so it's there. And that's fun to go back and have people. And That's the beautiful thing about being a handyman. We can do a lot of stuff. Um, so we're not just a painting company that maybe comes and sees you once every seven years to paint the outside of your house or change a color inside. We have a lot we can do. So that's great. But it also makes it also very difficult because we can do so many things around in a house. And we have this human capital issue that we have right now and being able to take on all that additional work. I feel you on that one. It's it's tough. Yeah, definitely. All right, sir. I, I thank you for this conversation. This has been a great conversation. Um your book can be found on Amazon. It's found on Amazon. It's called From the Zoo to the Wild, Your Guide to Entrepreneurial Freedom and Wealth. You can find it at uh, zoo2wild.com. You can also find me I on... Will, go ahead. I'll make sure we put it in the show notes for you so you don't have to worry about that. Oh, great. So we'll put that there. And then your uh, your training? It's called thehomeserviceinstitute.com. That's thehomeserviceinstitute.com. Come out there. You can ping me on that. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Chris Lalamia. Um, on Instagram, I'm the customer service dot freak uh, because I love that phrase because <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> Wonderful. I'll put all those in the show notes so they can they can connect with you and they can reach out. So that's great. Chris, thank you for coming on today. It's been a great conversation. It's been healthy, great sharing your journey. Um, one, thank you for what you're doing, but also the knowledge that you're sharing with everyone. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it as well, Ryan. All right, sir. Have a good one. All right.